BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. This is Bill Press and Friends on the District Productive Network. Let's start with those new guidelines issued yesterday uh, on immigration guidelines to carry out Donald Trump's promises of mass deportation. They insist it is not mass deportation, but when you add it up, that's exactly what it is. Here's Sean Spicer reacting to that charge yesterday at our briefing. The message from this White House and from the DHS is that those people who are in this country and pose a threat to our public safety or have committed a crime will be the first to go and we will be aggressively making sure that that occurs. That that, that is what the priority is. So first he's trying to say, right, okay, all we're doing is people who've committed a serious crime. Remember, during the campaign, Donald Trump promised he was going to round up and deport all 11 million people estimated who are here, uh, uh, undocumented people who are here illegally. So then he switched and said, uh, uh, after he was elected, no, we're just going to focus on those who have committed serious crimes, so defined. Uh, and but and that's what Sean Spicer said in that clip from yesterday again. But then he follows up, and this is the real impact of the new guidelines issued yesterday. Everybody who is here, everybody illegally, everybody is subject to removal at any time. That is right. consistent with every every country, not just ours. If you're in this country in an illegal manner, um, that obviously that there's a provision that could could ensure that you be removed. So here are the uh, provisions uh, in the in the uh, DHS guidelines. First of all, they throw out President Obama's priorities for deportation which were national security threats, as spelled out in President Obama's executive orders, national security threats, dangerous criminals, or most recent arrivals. And remember, President Obama, because at one time he uh, deported about 450,000 people uh, in one year and was called the deporter-in-chief, but then the president, President Obama, tighten those standards a little bit or re, uh, redefine them, if you will, narrowly, more narrowly focus them to be, again, national security threats, dangerous pools, dangerous criminals, and recent arrivals. In the president's words, in other words, we're going to, de- this was President Obama, we're going to deport felons, not families. Again, all of that is out the window yesterday under these new Trump guidelines. Secondly, it va- they vastly, the new guidelines, vastly expa- expand the pool of immigrants who could be deported. Now, any, any of the 11 million people who are here undocumented for any reason are fair game. And that's that point that, that Sean Spicer did admit um, yesterday. Fair game. Anybody's been here, even if it's only for a year, even if it's two years, even if it's 10 years. 
and they've got families, they've got jobs, they've got kids in school, some have served in the military. No, they are all subject to deportation. Um, the new guidelines also crack down on the unaccompanied children who cross the border, and they would also require the hiring of 15,000 new uh, agents for ICE and Border Patrol guards. The, those are the new guidelines. They jump in immediately. And by the way, on that 11 million figure, yesterday at the briefing, it was really strange. Um, Sean Spicer kept talking about 13, 14, 15 million people uh, who are here illegally. Um, immigration experts dispute that entirely, say it's probably even less than 11, because with this economy, the number of people coming into the country, and because of tighter security at the border, thanks to President Obama, the number of people coming into the country has actually diminished. It's not growing, but and Sean Spicer was challenged by Glenn Thrush of the New York Times. Where is that $15 million, 15 million rather, figure come from of people who are undocumented people in this country? Uh, Sean Spicer refused to answer, would not, never, wouldn't, wouldn't touch at all. Again, they just throw these wild numbers out there and expressed us all to believe them. The reaction was pretty swift across the country from immigration groups and from a lot of Democratic lawmakers. Here is um, Kamala Harris, Senator, new Senator Kamala Harris from Virginia at a meeting in Los Angeles. Let's be clear, they're, they're lowering the bar and, and suggesting that anything, um, even that someone may have committed a crime, might qualify for deportation. That's just extreme and outrageous. And uh, Congressman Tony Cardenas, uh, also from uh, California, I thought, uh, walks like a duck, quacks like a duck. You got it. If it looks like a deportation force, it reads like a deportation force, they want to hire 15,000 new people at ICE overnight, it's a deportation force. That's what it is, mass deportation. Uh, and uh, you've got to say, we knew this was coming. Uh, because Donald Trump said it was coming. And uh, the, the, interesting, that's the very first measure of his uh, administration. Uh, and we've talked about this so much before. It is exaggerating the existence of a problem. Uh, our southern border is really very much under control today with the, new, uh, with the new measures that were put in by George W. Bush and by Barack Obama. Um, we had a policy of not tolerating mass, uh, mass uh, immigration into this country, but of also uh, recognizing the contribution that so many of these people who did come here illegally, the contributions that so many of them have made to building up this country, just like immigrants before them. We are a nation of immigrants, as we have to keep reminding ourselves, uh, and taking both again under President Bush and, to, and President Obama taking a much more humane attitude toward immigra immigrant families. Uh, not Donald Trump. This is all-out war on immigrant families, and no wonder uh, Im the immigrants across the country are really fear, really fear for whether they'll be able to stay here. Um, and on top of that, of course, the White House announced that they're going to come up with a new executive order, a new Muslim ban which they say will stand up and meet the constitutional test but achieve the same goals as the first Muslim ban, which, of course, was shot down, has been shot down three times by the courts. 
Senator Chuck Grassley at his town hall meeting yesterday in uh, in in Iowa uh, came across a, a, a young man who is a translator for the U.S. Army in Afghanistan, uh, caught in the caught in the crossfire, if you will, uh, on this Muslim ban, afraid that having worked for this country, saved the lives of soldiers on the battlefield in Afghanistan. Now he's going to be thrown out of the country. Uh, here's that little exchange. I am, I am a person from a Muslim country, and I am a Muslim who's going to save me here, who is going to stand behind me and save me. And yeah, good question. And that man, by the way, Zalman Niazi, he was injured in Afghanistan in battle, and now he's in the U.S. and he's again, yeah, threatened. And, and and by the way, these we've talked about this before. These translators, people who have, and others who have worked with our soldiers, supporting them on some very difficult training missions um, uh, in Iraq and in Afghanistan. They are provided the opportunity and encouraged to take advantage of it to, to come to this country. That was before Donald Trump got in there and, and uh, putting, putting the ban on uh, all Muslims coming into this country. We welcome to the program Jack Jenkins. Senior religion reporter over at Think Progress. Hello, Jack. Nice to see you. Thanks for having me. Uh, we have to talk about all this. It's very troubling uh, incidences of uh, anti-Semitism. We've seen so many of since the first of the year here in this country. What's that all about? Uh, we've seen a sharp rise in uh, anti-Semitic um, um, anti-Semitic incident across the United States. And I wonder what do you say to those among the Jewish community in the States and in Israel and maybe around the world who believe and feel that your administration is playing with xenophobia and maybe racist tones. Well, I just want to say that we are you know, very honored by the victory that we had, 306 electoral college votes. Uh, we were not supposed to crack 220. You know that, right? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It, it was, it was a, an astounding dodge. Um, and it was, you know, ask a very specific question about anti-Semitism, and given an opportunity to condemn it, um, the president dodged. And that was the first of three times last week that he was given that opportunity by journalists. Um, you were talking about early, you know, the, the next day at his own press conference, a Jewish journalist um, from an Orthodox Jewish weekly asked him specifically about the rash of bomb threats that have been made against Jewish community centers. And as you mentioned earlier, he was cut off and then told that it was a very unfair question. And Trump just said that he's the least anti-Semitic person that you've ever met and, and, and just denied and, to answer the question. And introduced his daughter and dropped it there again. Here is that exchange the day after um, the news conference with Prime Minister Netanyahu. There's been a report out that 48 uh, uh, bomb threats have been made against Jewish centers all across the country in the last couple of weeks. There are people who are committing anti-Semitic acts or threatening to... You see, he said he was going to ask a very simple, easy question. And it's not. It's not. Not a, not a simple question. Not a fair question. Okay, sit down. I, I understand the rest of your question. Yeah, yeah, basically. Sit down and shut up. And that's when he says, I'm the least anti-Semitic person you've ever seen. Boom, boom, boom. Uh, uh, and 
not a fair question. Why isn't it a fair question? Right. It, it, it seems like, I mean, what's what's nuts about that moment, too, is that the um, th- that moment came after Trump was set, said he was looking for a friendly reporter. And this this reporter identified himself as such. It was you know a conservative outlet, and like he had he had basically aligned himself at least for that moment with Trump, and yet still Trump was willing to to dismiss it as an unfair question. And then later on in that same press conference, another reporter tried to double down and said, "Hey, I, I want to second what my colleague said. He we're not talking about you, Mr. President. Your anti-Semitism. You know, like we're not accusing you of that. Um, these reporters weren't." But we're um, but we are talking about this rash of hate incidences against Jewish community centers. And and then Trump pivoted and said that, oh, no, those are put up by my enemies. Like they can't possibly be done by people who um, support me. And so it's a constant deflection of any sort of like, responsibility on his part to kind of discuss anti-Semitism and the rise of it, both during his campaign for president and since he's been elected. All president. right. So let's let's back up. What have we seen in terms of anti-Semitism in this country? So um, you know, just since he's been elected, um, we think progress started tracking hate incidences um, uh, right after November 9th. And we found uh, the largest group that has had um, that has been affected, a marginalized group that has been affected by this have been Jewish people. We've tracked 70 instances of anti-Semitism. 70. 70. Um, Now, a lot of those are this rash of bomb threats. Until Monday, there were 48 um, bomb threats against Jewish community centers across the country in about 26 states. You know, there was 11 more threats made on Monday. Some of those are against the same poor Jewish centers that are getting more than one call. But we're also seeing, um, you know, synagogues that have had their windows smashed in and swastikas drawn on them. We've seen Jewish professors being given neo-Nazi propaganda, synagogues um, receiving neo-Nazi propaganda. And one of the other incidences that happened this week is a Jewish cemetery was desecrated, which is a tactic that's been happening in Europe for a little while. Um, But it's it's we've seen this sharp rise. And that's just since. Trump was elected. That's not actually including mm-hmm. the other rise of anti-Semitism that we witnessed um, during his campaign, where you had Trump supporters leaving um, Trump rallies, you know, telling people to go to Auschwitz. You had you know Trump supporters shouting Nazi propaganda slogans during Trump rallies. Um, Jewish reporters time period who wrote anything either e- even mildly critical of Trump and his family were hit with online harassment of, um, you know, being sent death threats and horrible um, anti-Semitic imagery. Um, you know, we, we even got them at Think Progress. Some of our Jewish reporters got these, but so did the New York Times. You know, it, it became this culture where anti-Semitism was um, in many ways normalized underneath Trump's among Trump supporters. It was something that was discussed, but Trump also refused to denounce it during that time period. Do we have how many states did you say uh, were involved? As of Monday, that before this latest wave of bomb so, threats, um, it was it was twenty six states. Twenty six states. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and by the way, you you mentioned forty eight, and that's the number we heard from that one reporter um, through mo- until Monday, and Monday there were an, another whole rash of them. There's another last I heard was eleven of them. Um, Eleven bomb threats made, and uh, and and they, some of these are to the same centers, but some of them are new. These are phone calls. Mm-hmm. These are phone bomb threats. The person or people, um, it's unclear who uh, is doing this. Actually, made uh, they're using voice changers, so it's not clear who they are, um, and they so it, it, it's hard to track down. 
All right, so that 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 leads. That's where I was going. Is who do we have any idea who is behind behind these? And um, they wouldn't all be happening at the same time, directed toward the same kind of targets, if they were not being coordinated somewhere, right, by somebody. They're very clearly a coordinated effort, Um, and it's you know this is a scary time, and we've seen an uptick in hate groups in general and hate group membership membership in general in the past um, few years, and particularly in the last year and a half, two years, um, kind of coinciding with Trump's rise. And people at the Southern Poverty Law Center have attributed at least part of that rise to his campaign, um, or at least the rhetoric surrounding it. But um, so it's not clear who they are. Um, it's not clear, you know, how you would stop it. It might require a very large effort, which is why a lot of Jewish um, groups are calling for the president. You know, they're, they're grateful that the president finally got around to denouncing anti-Semitism yesterday. But they would like to see some sort of plan for how the federal government or even, you know, a coordinated effort by state governments are going to address this issue. Um, uh, yeah. So you alluded to the fact that yesterday at the uh, African-American Museum, uh, the president finally, fi- di- directly, and and if I can back up for a second, mm-hmm. there was also he also missed a beat on the Holocaust proclamation, right, right, <laughs> he was, the Holocaust, the uh, Remembrance Day or whatever, right. They just yeah. they 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 remembered the Holocaust by not mentioning Jewish people, um, and and then which was. And then defended it, doubled down on. Oh that no, 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 no! I, I, oh. At the briefings, I, I mean, I can't tell you how defensive uh, uh, Sean Spicer was mm-hmm. about about that proclamation and how um, incensed they were that Jews would dare criticize him for the fact that they did not mention anything about the Jewish people. Right, right, and and it and it came. You know, it was one of those. It was one of the first moments, and there was deep frustration and, and anxiety um, among different Jewish groups in that moment. And and everyone thought that that would be a breaking point. So watching the administration double down on that um, was really dispiriting. And so in some ways, it was unexpected that the president um, decided to finally condemn anti-Semitism yesterday. Yeah. Uh, and here he is at the um, uh, at the African American Museum. The anti-Semitic threats targeting our Jewish community and community centers are horrible and are painful and a very sad reminder of the work that still must be done to root out hate and prejudice and evil. Now, after uh, he had made those remarks, the Anne Frank Center (laughs) came out and said this is nothing but a Band-Aid, right? Still, he hadn't done anything, and even that statement which he read came after, as you point out, three uh, uh, occasions on which he just, you know, uh, just dismissed it. Right. He, um, they, they, they said it was a Band-Aid on a cancer of anti-Semitism that has also infected his administration. Mm-hmm. And um, that seems to be the thing that Trump is most dismissive about is the idea that there might be members of his administration that are anti-Semitic. And but, you know, generally speaking, or, or at least or at least align themselves with anti-Semites. I mean, let's not forget. I mean, Trump was endorsed by both David Duke, a former KKK Grand Wizard, and Richard Spencer, who's, you know, I guess a rising anti-Semite neo-Nazi. He would disagree that he's a neo-Nazi, but vehemently claimed that the, the white nationalist, which is a distinction without difference. Um, and let's not forget that he has Steve Bannon by his side. Exactly. 
And since Steve Bannon, um, you know, says that his his uh, former publication Breitbart is, you know, the the uh, banner of uh, the platform for what he calls the white um, the alt right, but for what my publication and many others note is really just a white nationalist movement um, that includes anti-Semitism as a component of its cultural. Melu. And so, you know, if Steve Bannon is his, he created a publication that was the, the platform for this movement, I mean, anti-Semitism is part and parcel of it. So um, I think a lot of Jewish groups are really frustrated by the, um, Trump's response because they're saying, okay, fine, you finally got around to denouncing this after we've had four waves of bomb threats mm-hmm. and a year and a half of an uptick in anti-Semitism. Well, what does that mean? You know, like you saying that it's bad is, is, is a fine first step, probably should have come, you know, from their perspective a year ago. Um, but, you know, if you're there now, what, what, are you, what steps are you going to take? Are you going to try to make sure you root it out from within your own administration? Are you going to make sure that you're going to, like, you know, direct um, the FBI, the CIA to take, uh, you know, more precautions to try to um, get rid of this sort of stuff? I mean, what is the actual plan here? And, and the president has not elucidated anything. Um, specifically on what they're going to do to condemn it. Right. Hey, everybody, this is Bill Press. Thanks for listening to the Bill Press and Friends podcast. And now do yourself a favor. If you haven't already done so, subscribe to the show on iTunes. Here's what you do. Just search for the Bill Press show. Then you can take us with you and listen in anywhere you go. And you'll get new shows from us as soon as they're posted. And one more thing. If you really enjoy Bill Press and Friends, please help us grow by telling a friend, writing a review, and giving us a rating on iTunes. It's so great to have you on board. Many thanks. We want to get back to the town halls that are such an exciting part of the political landscape today. Um, And last night... Uh, yesterday, rather, Donald, even Donald That's Trump about it. <laughs> was so uh, incensed about what's happening at these town halls that he tweeted about it. He tweeted, the so-called angry crowds in home districts of some Republicans are actually, in numerous cases, planned out by liberal activists. Sad. Well, damn right they're planned out by liberal activists, and one of them joins us. He's a uh, secretary of the board of Indivisible Guide, Angel Padilla. Hello, Angel. Nice to see you. Good to be here. All right, so when did Indivisible start? Uh, About seven and a half weeks ago. Um, It was amazing. Yeah, Google Doc that went online. Some former congressional staffers put it together basically after the election, didn't know what to do, felt. a lot of you know, a lot of us were angry, upset, uh, going through stages of grief. Uh, didn't know what we were going to do about it, and we realized that one of the things that we did know was the way that Congress works. Um, having seen the Tea Party back in '09 and 2010, and the way that they um, sort of came out of nowhere and started really had a good jo- did a good job of stopping the Obama uh, agenda, we thought, well, you know, that's what we need to do now. We have to work to stop this tr- new Trump agenda because. The people that we care about the most, you know, vulnerable communities, people of color, immigrants, all of these people are most at risk. And we it's sort of we need to do something about it. So what is your background? Were you a congressional staffer or were you part of the Clinton campaign? No, I was uh, a congressional staffer. I worked for Congressman Gutierrez from 2009 to 2011. Great guy. Uh, <laughs> Love him. Love him. Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, his office is one, maybe 99 percent immigration. Uh, that's what they do. 
Um, and so I worked there for, I did healthcare for, for his office from, for two years and then went to grad school, which is where I met Ezra Levin, who is one of the other co-founders of Indivisible. Um, and, the, and to be clear, there were maybe like 30 people who worked on the original document um, that went online. It was, again, a Google Doc that was posted online, uh, shared it with our friends, and then it sort of took off. Uh, it started, you know, kind of went viral. Um, and then through that sort of initial interest, we got a ton of people who were volunteering to do things like, hey, uh, we got an email saying, I'm a graphic designer. Can I just turn this into like a really neat, mm-hmm. you know, shareable? Yeah. Uh, another person who's like, hey, I know how to do websites. Can, can we, can I help you set up a website for this? So everything happened really, really quickly in about seven, seven weeks. All right, so if you haven't already done so, uh, you've got to go to indivisibleguide.com because it is all laid out there uh, in great detail and uh, extremely user-friendly. Um, and, um, and, and you know, as, as all members of the resistance, right, we're all looking for ways we can contribute, if we can actually um, be part of the resistance. And, and there, there are many, many ways in which you can do so. Again, it's, it's uh, all laid out for you in the Indivisible, Indivisible Guide, IndivisibleGuide.com. Um, and uh, President Trump tweeting about it yesterday. Uh, Jim DeMint, head of the Heritage Foundation, um, one of the most well-funded uh, and one of the, oh, I may be the very first uh, right-wing think tank in Washington, D.C., former senator from South Carolina, uh, he was on MSNBC last night, and he said, this isn't fair. <laughs> I was going through this document today, indivisible. These folks are well, very well financed, very well organized. They're being bussed around to go to these different <laughs> town halls to disrupt them. So it's going to be difficult for congressmen to go out and defend their positions because these folks who are coming are not coming to contribute. They're coming to disrupt. Isn't that terrible, yeah. right? It, it's really interesting how the first thing that they, that uh, Republicans have been saying is that we're, you know, financed, uh, well financed, that we got a ton of these big donors that are giving us a bunch of money. This is, the, the truth is, this is 100% organic. This happened, it was literally, you can trace the progress. It was a Google Doc, people who started using it. Um, and, and also, we, we are just like one small component of this larger wave of resistance. People are going to the town halls because they care about things like their health care, about immigrants, about their communities. It's not because they're being paid. Yeah. No. Uh, and, yeah. and also, by the way, what's wrong with um, an organization like yours putting out information? Here are where these events are happening. Mm-hmm. Here, here's how you can plug in. Here. This is civics, civics 101. I mean, yeah. this is an opportunity to talk to your member of Congress. They're there to represent you, and you should be able to talk to them. So where are you directing people? Um, strictly town halls or are there no, other things going no. on? No, so it's, um, it, it's we're in the middle of recess, so town halls are usually a big part of recess, and so we've been trying to get folks out to those uh, town halls. Um, it's, a, it's an American tradition, right? Members of Congress, it's a, a district work period. They're supposed to go back to their districts and mm-hmm. talk to their constituents. So we have been nudging people to go to their town halls, giving them the resources so they can ask the right questions. But, but we think that they should be, there should be a constant, they should be constant communication with their members of Congress. So um, they should be going down to their offices, having uh, in-office meetings. They should be calling their office regularly, telling them how they feel about an issue. Um, it's not just town halls. It's one of a number of tactics that we think that progressives need to use in order to influence their members of Congress. Do they make any difference? They do. Uh, and we've already seen it. Um, we saw it from day one of the new Congress when um, when Goodlot wanted to gut the ethics office. And um, it wasn't because 
The only reason why they yanked that amendment to gut the, F- the ethics office was because members of Congress are hearing from their constituents. They were overwhelmed by the number of calls and visits, um, and that makes a difference. It's hearing from their constituents. Um, you know, having worked on the Hill, I remember getting you know notices about, and even now, as as a, you know, as a not that I'm not on the Hill, I get notices all the time that say, you know, if you care about an issue, call Speaker Ryan to let him know that you don't like what he's doing, or call Mitch McConnell. Um, and, you know, for us, we sort of having worked on the Hill, we know that that doesn't really work unless you happen to live in their state or their district. Um, and so what we've been trying to get across is that everyone has a, can influence their three members of Congress. They have two senators and a representative, and those are the people they should focus on, and those are the ones who are going to listen to them. So particularly, members of Congress will pay attention yep. to people who come to them from their district. Yep. And that's what we've been seeing. We've been seeing people from their districts who are going down to the town halls, who are going down to their offices and expressing themselves, which is, you know, it's great to see, um, right? We saw Senator Wyden's office. Uh, he posted a picture of a town hall a couple of days ago that had 2,000 people um, at a town hall. And he said that this is exactly the kind of democracy that, you know, the founding fathers wanted to see. So, I mean, this is a great it, – it's great to see for just our country and for civics and democracy. Um, but but our, our sort of goal here is to stop the harm that we know that we're already seeing with the Trump administration. I mean, you were talking about the, the new uh, Kelly memos from DHS on how everyone is, yeah. is deportable. Those are the kinds of things that we want to uh, fight back against. Uh, lots going on every day. A round of activity uh, at the White House. It's hard to keep up with. Hard to keep up with it all. Uh, it keeps people like Justin Sink working overtime. White House political reporter for Bloomberg Bo- Bloomberg Politics. Hey, Justin. Hey, thanks for you? having me. Good. Uh, there was an um, I I thought um, an unusual start to the news conference yesterday. The very first question uh, to the um, press briefing yesterday. <laughs> was about Donald Trump's um, branding people like you and me as the enemy of the uh, American people. Here is uh, Sean Spicer's response. I think the president has been very clear uh, that certain outlets have gone out of their way to not represent his record accurately, um, and it is a concern to him. Um, And I think some reporters, he has deep respect for the First Amendment, for the role of the press. I've addressed this multiple times in the past. Uh, there is a healthy respect for the press, but I think that it's a two-way street. Now, I tried as hard as I could to get um, a question in yesterday. Yeah. Uh, he did not call on me, but I was surprised. I wanted to follow up on that. I was surprised that nobody else did. They let him slide with that. So what they're really saying is, if you write an article that the president doesn't like, you're the enemy of the American people. Yeah, and I mean, my personal inclination uh, is to, to sort of roll my eyes and shrug when sort of an outlandish statement like that is. Which is probably the best response. Right, but I I do think that there is one, well, there's two points but, I want to make. Yeah. One, I totally understand that people think the media is too navel-gazy about this type of stuff, and I agree that uh, if I was given a question in that press conference or even to Sean yesterday that there are policy issues that I think are are the most important thing. That being said, I do think that there is a important policy element of this sort of 
uh, argument that we're having, and we saw it surface a little bit, um, both John McCain and Ben Rhodes, who was the former na- uh, Deputy National Security Advisor under um, President Obama, mentioned this over the weekend. And Angela Merkel actually mentioned it uh, over the weekend as she was talking at uh, the Munich Security Conference. And, and that is this. When the President of the United States attacks the press in that way, you know, we're, we're big boys and girls. We can handle it. But it gives free license to people around the world and leaders around the world to justify their crackdowns on the on the media. Mm-hmm. And we lose the moral high ground in places like Turkey or Saudi Arabia where we have alliances or friendships and we try to hold ourselves up as in China as um, sort of examples of how f- democracy can work, how a free press can work, and how uh, there should be respect between, mm-hmm. you know, the the press and the executive branch and the legislative branch, and you know how yeah. these all can work yeah. together. I- and and when he levels sort of broadsides like that, obviously he's riling up his base, and uh, obviously he has things that he you know legitimate criticisms, illegitimate criticisms, right. Right. All those sorts of things, but but that is a, a danger that I'm not sure they've completely thought through on this right. line. No, those are I mean those are very good points, excellent points. Um, I wanted to, without belaboring it, sure. what I wanted to ask was you know look, we've all been around this place for a long time. Can't you read an article you disagree with without labeling? Yeah. It's the word enemy, right? That is really troubling to me. I mean because. Another question afterwards, a couple of us were talking, as I said, I, I wanted to ask him, who else are enemies of the state or enemies right. of the American people? I mean, so does he equate us with <laughs> ISIS? Right. Right. I mean, or who, who's on that same level? And it, it just seems to me to be helpful. Okay, even dishonest press is smart ass and troubling, but that's enemy is there's a, right with the word enemy that's a loaded word right and maybe if they would just back down and say well i shouldn't have gone that far yeah maybe yeah. i just i think it would help a lot but they won't they just dig in their heels and say of course you're the enemy because you don't give me credit i mean to give credit for donald trump all of his accomplishments you'd have to say that he got had the biggest crowd ever at, at the inauguration You'd have to say he got the biggest electoral vote margin ever in history. You'd have to say that he won the popular vote except for all the people. You'd have to – that they were busing people in from Massachusetts and New Hampshire. You have to b- repeat all those lies. Well, and I think it's important to to keep all of this within the broader context, which is that, Don, you know, Donald Trump, but some of his top advisors, including Steve Bannon, sort of famously have talked about how they think that – you know, an erosion and destruction of some of the the traditional um, structures within American society needs to happen. Um, they, you know, they argue that their sort of base has been poorly served by whether it's the traditional Republican Party or the traditional Democratic Party, Washington establishment, the media, these sorts of things. And so, um, you know, it's easy to sort of I think dismiss what happened over the weekend as okay. Donald Trump got down to Mar-a-Lago and saw, uh, you know, an article he didn't like or a mm-hmm. something, a clip on TV that he thought was unfair, and fired off this tweet, and that was it. And maybe that's what happened. But 
it is part of a larger pattern that I think um, is informative to the way that he and his top aides are approaching uh, their job as president and what they want to accomplish. The Parting Shot with Bill Press. This is The Bill Press Show. All right, friends. Well, you know what? Donald Trump is right about one thing after all. He said that he's inspired a political movement like this country has seldom seen before. And yeah, he's right about that. It's a massive grassroots movement that's organized against his policies. Yeah, it started with that great women's march on Washington and continued with all those crowds that showed up at the airports to protest the Muslim ban. It went on with the Not My President's Day, and now it's happening every day across the country at congressional town halls. Those sleepy old meetings where members of Congress were lucky if a dozen people showed up, now they have turned out to be massive events, rowdy events, people coming especially to protest about the possible repeal of Obamacare, and they're working. In fact, they've forced Republicans already to postpone any repeal of Obamacare. So do you know they're having an impact also when even the president of the United States tweets out about them, as Donald Trump did yesterday, complaining, quote, the so-called angry crowds in home districts of some Republicans are actually, in numerous cases, planned out by liberal activists. Sad, he says. Yeah, well, guess what? It's not sad. It is great. Of course, these protests are being organized by some liberal activists. And they're doing a damn good job. So if you haven't already done so, here's what you need to do. Sign up today for a congressional town hall near you. You can find out from townhallproject.com, indivisibleguideline.com, ourrevolution.com, or moveon.org. Get out to a congressional town hall today. It's our chance to stop the Donald Trump agenda in its tracks and to drive Donald Trump crazy. This is The Bill Press Show.